Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are bringing you the best minds in functional medicine, and I assure you today is no exception. New Frontiers is able to offer these deeper drill-down conversations with content geared toward the professional audience because we are proudly sponsored by two companies that I use in my practice every day, Metagenics and Biotics Research Corporation. A little bit about Metagenics. Their mission is to lead the movement in making personalized nutritional intervention the standard of care in the treatment and prevention of disease and the promotion of optimal health. For over 30 years, Metagenics has been dedicated to scientific discovery, innovative products, unparalleled quality, education, and practitioner partnerships to support lifestyle functional nutrition. For more information, visit them at metagenics.com. New Frontiers is also proud to be sponsored by Biotics Research Corporation. The foundation of Biotics Research Corporation is innovative ideas, carefully researched concepts and product development, utilizing advanced analytical and manufacturing techniques to develop and produce gluten-free nutritional products of superior quality and effectiveness. The advantages of Biotics Research Vegetable Culture Base include biologically active, whole food, consistent disintegration for proper assimilation, suitability for strict vegetarians, and improved product stability. Biotics research emulsified nutrients represent a more cost-effective means of delivering nutrients than mycelized, dry, or oily preparations and are safely and more completely absorbed. Biotics research provides the best of science and nature. Visit them at bioticsresearch.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to New Frontiers in Functional Medicine, where we are interviewing the best minds in functional medicine, and today is no exception. I'm really excited about our next guest. He doesn't need much of an introduction, but let me jump in here and tell you about him. Chris Kresser is an MS LAC. He's the CEO of Kresser Institute and the co-director of California Center for Functional Medicine. He's also the creator of chriscresser.com and is the New York Times bestselling author of The Paleo Cure. Chris was named one of the 100 most influential people in health and fitness by greatest.com and his blog is one of the top ranked natural health websites in the world. Chris, welcome to New Frontiers. Cara, I'm happy to be here. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I just had a lot of fun kind of designing our questions. And I really, um, you know, I appreciate who you've been in the functional medicine space and your commitment to excellence and just pushing this forward. Um, how well, did you, you? Yeah, absolutely. So how did you get here? Talk about your background. You know, I, I know you, you, like many of us, actually, myself mm -hmm. included, kind of found this in... Um, seeking recovery from an illness and out of then, necessity yeah that's exactly right and then you and then you sort of and then you found in this journey of yours functional medicine so just talk about how you got here yeah that saying necessity is the mother of invention right it's it's not that i invented functional medicine or anything remotely close to that but it it, it sort of led me to an you know, invent a, a path for myself that I wasn't imagining before. And, you know, I, I didn't right. grow up, I wasn't one of those kids that always wanted to be in health, you know, in medicine when I grew up. Um, that wasn't on my list of things that I was going to be uh, when I grew up. And um, what were you thinking about being just well, out of curiosity? You know, <laughs> I was one of those kids, and I'm, I'm actually one of these still this way as an adult. I have a broad 
range of interests and my interests change a lot. And so I can't even remember. I mean, I, I could probably, uh, there was so many different things, but interestingly enough, doctor was never, you know, or, or medicine was not one of those things. So, right. um, right. Then I was in my early 20s and I, I was traveling around the world doing uh, a kind of one-year trip around the world surfing, um, mostly studying massage and meditation. Um, and I got really sick in Indonesia. And very long story short, it was led to a decade-long recovery process. Mm. And during that uh, process, I learned a lot. I learned, number one, that, that conventional medicine was – <laughs> poorly suited to deal with chronic uh, complex illness mm -hmm. to put it to put it kindly mm -hmm. um, every doctor I saw was uh, their heart was in the right place and they were trying to help but they just didn't have the tools uh, to help in a situation like that um, and I also learned that uh, you know the even the, the way that we had that that I had always thought about um, medicine and healing was, um, was incomplete. And that if I, if I was going to get better, I would have to take matters into my own hands, which is what I did. Mm -hmm. Um, and so then I eventually at the end of that process, uh, you know, people around me had seen what I'd gone through and they'd seen my recovery and started to ask me questions about, Hey, you know, how, how did you do that? And, uh, uh, can you give me some advice and pointers? And um, and then I uh, decided to go back and, and study Chinese medicine uh, because that had actually been, um, that was the closest thing that I had encountered in my journey back to health to a more holistic framework. Um, and it so it drew me in because of that. And at that time, I, I didn't know about functional medicine, you know, when I had first made the decision to go back um, and study Chinese medicine. I mean, this was way back in like 1999 or 2000. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, functional medicine was around, but definitely not the, the level of awareness um, that it has today. Um, and then I got out of school and I started um, practicing and I was working uh, as a solo practitioner and enjoying that a lot, but also started to see some of the limitations of that solo practice model and episodic model of care where, you know, we just see a patient once every three or four months for a half hour, an hour, and that's it. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, most of the patients that I was seeing uh, needed more support than that. And so that's when I started to um, explore like a more collaborative practice model. And it's also when I started to um, train other practitioners because I, I recognized that, uh, you know, although we've made a lot of progress in terms of functional medicine and awareness of it spreading, there's still far more demand than there is supply, uh, you mm -hmm. know, in terms of patients who need that kind of care versus uh, practitioners who are able to offer it. Um, and I know you feel the same way mm -hmm. because you're training people as well. Yeah. So um, that was kind of the next natural evolution. And then, um, you know, along the way, I'd written a book about, um, you know, taking back our, your own individual health using diet, uh, lifestyle and behavior change. And then uh, as my awareness of this issue continued to expand, I, I just became more and more focused on how can we, how can we, um, roll these changes out to a broader swath of the population? You know, how can we actually take them mainstream and how can we take back health care? 
not just our individual health. And that was the genesis of my latest book on conventional medicine, which is really about taking back healthcare. Because we, I think what I realized that the, you can't really talk about individual health without talking about the context uh, that that happens in, which is our, our healthcare system. You know, it's amazing to me. I think a lot of us, you know, especially jumping in at the time that you did, which was around, we really, it mirrors my own journey. And it's like, it's a, it's a mission along with the own, you know, our own healing journey. And, and, and that's so woven in with everything that you are doing. Um, I, I just want to mention again, Chris's new book, Unconventional Medicine. It's just beautiful. It's really well articulated. And we're going to dive into those concepts um, it more in just a second, but I just, you know, funny, Chris, you're, you're really modest, you know, you're talking about your journey, but you've, you've, you know, you, you really kind of blew up. I mean, your book, I think this nutrition book that you're sort of referencing extremely casually was a New York Times bestseller, The Paleo Cure, and it was really huge. And it catapulted you really kind of front and center. Um, talk about actualizing your vision. And so you're, you're out there, you know, one of the people who's cutting the edge. And um, I know there's a, there's a responsibility that comes with that. And I, um, I've appreciated seeing what you put out and how you, you know, what you put out into this space. I appreciate your commitment to being evidence, uh, evidence-based or evidence-informed, as I like to say it. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I also obviously appreciate that you have an embrace of traditional ideas like that come from Chinese medicine. So, I mean, what, what's that been like for you to, I know you have this intention of growing things, but you know, you really took off. Did you anticipate that? And what's, what has that been like? Uh, no, not at all. Um, I, you know, from the beginning when I, when I was in school, so I started my blog at that time, it was called the healthy skeptic. Um, oh, interesting. That's yeah. yeah that kind of reflects your space now. <laughs> yeah. That that was the original um, concept. Was like we should have a healthy. It's it's healthy to be skeptical. You know, uh-huh. we should be skeptical not only about conventional medicine, but also even about our own sacred concepts. You know, I was skeptical, frankly, about the the um, you know traditional Chinese ex explanation of how acupuncture worked. I, I never really accepted that. Um, energy uh, meridians and, and chi. Um, I know this is sacrilege and <laughs> in a lot of trouble, but um, it's just, you know, I, I went looking for other explanations that made more sense to me. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that there isn't a possibility that that's true. It just didn't resonate with me um, and found another way of understanding how acupuncture worked that was more in alignment with modern evidence and and what made resonated with me and a way that I could talk about it with my patients that that I could get behind you know and and mm-hmm. so uh, I started this blog the healthy skeptic I started writing about um, heart disease and the connection the relationship between saturated fat and cholesterol and heart disease in particular because my grandfather um, had had a heart attack and uh, they get you know they gave him a a triple or quadruple bypass at age 85, which was totally Mm. unnecessary. And it basically killed him. He didn't Mm. die right away, but he just kind of withered away after that. Mm. And the whole thing was based on a faulty paradigm. And so I started writing about that. And I, you know, this was early days when like blog, 
you know, people were like, blog, what's a blog? Right, right. <laughs> and, and a blog was kind of like a journal. That was the idea early on, you know, it's like, you just kind of write your, about what's going on in your head. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that's, I was doing this research and I was using the, I'm a kinesthetic learner. So I, I like to like synthesize and write things down. And so I was doing that with my blog no idea that anyone was reading it. Like had, right. I, I, I was shocked when somebody first left a comment on the blog. I was like, Oh my God, wow. Someone's <laughs> actually, actually reading this. And, and many, many times I was going to quit writing my blog because I just had, you know, I had, didn't have any intention of like building anything with it. It was just like, it was a lot of work. And I, and right. very often, whenever I would say that, my wife would say, no, I, I think you should see this through. There's, there's probably something here. And, and thankfully I, I knew enough to listen to her. And um, then, you know, the, the blog, you know, kind of took off. And, and then when the book came, um, that was uh, really well received, which was great because it, you know, it was, it was a labor of love and, and I believed in what I was um, putting out there and I was glad that it could reach people and help them, which was the, the goal in the first place. Yeah. Yep. But it has put you forward and there's a degree of responsibility that comes like mm-hmm. comes with that, I think. And yeah. maintaining, you know, a continued um, integrity. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think if I've always been conscious of that and, and wanted to embrace that in my work and, and have been aware that, if we want functional medicine to become the default paradigm of medicine, which I firmly believe that it should be and will be mm-hmm. uh, to the point where I think someday it won't even be called functional medicine. It'll just be called, you know, it'll just be medicine. That's so yes. just be how, how we practice medicine. Yes. Um, if that's going to happen, it has to happen, uh, you know, within the, the context that we're operating in and that, that, um, demand there has to be some evidence to back it up um and there should be and there is there's a ton of evidence to back it up and i you know i talk about this in my book a lot of people say oh there's no evidence for functional medicine and i say what do you mean they say well when you go to pubmed and you search for functional medicine nothing comes up and i'm like well that's not actually how it works functional medicine's a paradigm it's a it's a different way of looking at things um if you go to pubmed and you search for irritable bowel syndrome and SIBO, you'll find a whole bunch of studies that show a correlation between SIBO and irritable bowel syndrome. And that's functional medicine. Yes. That's because it's showing a, a, an underlying cause of a problem that in Western medicine is usually just dealt with by prescribing drugs that suppress the symptoms. But nowhere in those studies will you see the term functional medicine. Right, so right. You, you have to know what you're looking for and you have to understand that functional medicine is a lens or a paradigm that we're, that we're using and it's not an entity in its own right that you can find a textbook on, you know, or, or studies on. So, um, you know, I think that's, that's the message that we have to continue to get out there. You know, a couple of things, and then I, I will continue in this conversation, but I wanted to just say that I love the quote that, um, Mark Hyman put in the foreword of your book the, the, from 1871, Dr. Right. Wade, yeah. and that's that's the term, that's when functional medicine was coined, 18, yeah. actually 1870, yeah. published, in, published in the Lancet, which is still mm-hmm. a premier journal. Yeah. Um, okay, so before we jump into uh, talking about where we are now and how we need to, how we can change the paradigm, I, you know, I was cracking up when you gave your blogging story, because mine is 
somewhat equally obscure. I mean, I, I was confident that my mom was reading because I would hear, <laughs> I would hear, I would get grammatical corrections and so right. forth. And I, I just really appreciated that. And, you know, I, I put all my friends on my list, so they were yeah. receiving my blogs early on, but yeah, it was, it was radio silent, but because there was, I just enjoyed doing it. It was an important part of, of my world yeah. and I continued to. So new, I mean, I just wanted to ask you around new practitioners coming into this space and using, um, you know, blogging or social media. Any, I just wanted to grab it while it's hot. Any mm -hmm. advice to them? Should they be doing it? I mean, what should they do? Uh, I think it's really important for any practitioner these days to have a, a solid online platform for a number of reasons. The first is that um, really that, you know, it, medicine and healthcare is about relationship above all else. And um, the way, the best way to, um, you know, create a, a vibrant and healthy practice that is sustainable over the long term is to build relationships with yes. people. That's how someone is going to consider coming to see you as a practitioner. Um, I mean, just think about it yourself. Like how do you, how do you pick a, a healthcare provider? You usually don't just open the yellow pages. Nobody opens the yellow pages anymore, <laughs> but go on Google and search for a doctor in your area. You ask around, you know, you ask, or if you're trying to find a therapist or a massage therapist or somebody like that, you're not generally just going to pick them from a Facebook ad in your, in your newsfeed. You're going to ask around and, or you, you know, what I'm saying is what you, you're probably going to do is you're going to say, Oh, I've been reading this blog, you know, for the last two years and I've le learned a ton and it's helped me tremendously. And now I'm a little stuck and I feel like I've gone as far as I can go on my own. And so I'm going to reach out and ask this person for, you know, I'm going to go become this person's patient. And that's exactly how it worked for me. Um, when I graduated from school and first had my license, because I, I sent out an email saying that my practice was open and that it was nearly full within a few months. And that's, that's simply because I had spent many, many months, actually two years prior to that, delivering very, really valuable, free content that helped people. Yes. And and so when they thought of someone that they might want to see as a practitioner, it was just natural and organic for them to think of me. I'd, I'd never paid a dollar to advertise in my entire career um, and because of that. And I think that's really, in this day and age, especially when we're so overwhelmed with information and media and advertising and retargeting and all this stuff. You know, I'm not saying there isn't a role for that, but uh, I think just creating a relationship with people where you're okay. delivering, you're, you're, you're delivering, you're, you're helping them and delivering value. That's the best way to do it. And in a consistent way and yeah. continuing the walk, even when you feel like there's, you know, echo, echo, you're not getting, you're, nobody's out there because people are as you, as you demonstrated and you hung in there for a really a long time. I don't think in this day one would need to be blogging two years to fill their practice i think it would happen much sooner but yeah i, I was early <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you were really early good. there was good and bad that, that came with that but i yeah. know the whole layout of how blogs looked back then it was really oh yeah crude, but yeah. but yeah. good story okay so you know circling back to unconventional medicine your book um you know, we're in, a, we're in a serious quagmire of dysfunction with regard to healthcare in the U.S. and globally. Um, how did we get here? And, you know, just talk about this, um, really this chronic disease pandemic mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, I think we're facing an existential crisis. It's interesting that the Department of Defense, um, Rob Wolf, who's a friend and colleague, has met with them a few times. He told me that they are approaching chronic disease as an existential threat to the United States, equivalent yeah. to, you know, like a, a, a missile attack. Wow. <laughs> and I think that's actually appropriate. I yes. mean, one in two Americans now has a chronic disease. One in four have multiple chronic diseases. <clears throat> Almost 30% of kids now have a chronic disease, which is absolutely heartbreaking. Uh, and today is the first generation of kids that's expected to live shorter lifespans than their parents. Um, I mean, that's, that is absolutely mm-hmm. not the right direction no. to be headed. A lifespan has been continually increasing for as long as we've been measuring it. And now it's going back in the, in the other direction for the first time. And then you add to that the, the social and economic consequences. You know, we have uh, some estimates suggesting that the U.S. will be completely insolvent or bankrupt by 2035 yes. if healthcare expenditures continue at their current pace. Um, some estimates suggest that we could be spending almost $50 trillion on uh, treating chronic disease by the year 2050, which isn't very far off. And just to put yes. that in perspective, that's equivalent to the GDP of the six largest economies in the world. So, right. I mean, this is a big deal. I don't think people actually get how big of a deal this is. It's, it's, it's threatening the very fabric of our country's survival, you know, our country yes. and its survival. It's threatening our, the health of future generations. I'm sure you've seen the studies on the decline in sperm count in, yes. in men and how alarming that is. So it could literally even be threatening our survival as a species. So Listen, like, Chris, why don't we get it? Like, why are we numb to this massive truth that you just put out? I I don't know. I mean, I think part of it is like we're the frogs in the boiling water, you know? It's it's happened, on the one hand, it's happened extremely quickly. I mean, these, um, the just, uh, I think 6% or, or, I don't know, 12 or 13% of kids had chronic disease in 1994. And that statistic of almost 30%, that was back in 2010, I think. Uh, I don't have a more recent statistic. I'm sure it's higher. So, so yes. that was just 16 years, uh, d- almost you know, doubling of chronic disease in kids. So on the one hand, it's happened fast. But on the other hand, it's slow enough that it's not like a meteor just came down and hit the planet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which everybody would notice. Like no one's going to miss that. But it's happened slow, slowly enough that we all kind of know someone with chronic disease if we don't have one ourselves. And because of that, I think we've come to accept it as normal. Yes. Uh, it's just the way things are. We all know that people get chronic disease and have it. And so it's not that alarming. But there's a really big difference between what's common and what's normal. Right. Uh, uh, it's common for people now to have chronic disease, but that doesn't mean it's normal. And we, you know, we learn that by studying traditional cultures that are still living their, tip, you know, you know uh, their typical lifestyle and eating their typical diet. And we find that, oh, wait, they don't actually have all these, they don't get heart disease. They don't, uh, or certainly not at the rates that we get it. They don't have obesity. They don't have diabetes. They don't have autoimmune disease. They don't get dementia and Alzheimer's. Like, okay, what's, what's going on here? Why is that, you know, maybe we should investigate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Powerful. It's just, it's powerful, you know, and it's mm-hmm. difficult to actually get, you know, when we talk in trillions or that we're going to bankrupt. I mean, these are big, yeah. 
important necessary concepts. I was lecturing on hypertension and I put the, you know, the trillions of dollars that hypertension costs. Mm -hmm. And I just wrote out all the zeros to give a visual. <laughs> yeah. And there's like a, a full page. I mean, it's like a whole, totally. <laughs> it's, no, it's, it's mind boggling number that we can't even get our head around. But Yes. I mean, just con simple concepts like our government might not be able to pay for roads and schools and uh, you know, yeah. um, basic uh, defense and, and any other services than healthcare. That, that kind of brings it home a little bit. And, you know, if you're a parent thinking that you, you, your kid might not live as long as a lifespan as you, I mean, as a parent myself, that's pretty gut-wrenching. You know, that, that, yes. that, that just feels wrong. Um, uh, especially given all of our progress technologically and, you know, in, in other ways. So, yes. uh, so that's where we are in terms of your question about how we got here. That's a, that's a little more involved, but um, in short, the, the, the reason that we're here is that our, our medical paradigm, well, there are three reasons. So, mm -hmm. so number one, there's, there's a huge mismatch between our modern environment and what our genes and our biology are, are hardwired for. So, you know, the, the easiest way to think about this is like, you know, all organisms are evolved in a particular environment. And when, they're, when, they're, when they live in that environment, they thrive. And if you take them out of that environment and drop them into a totally foreign environment, they're not going to do well. So, you know, if you think of like a bac bacteria that, that thrive very deep in the ocean near hydrothermal vents, you know, and don't, you know, among the few organisms that, that don't require sunlight to survive, and then you take them and you put them in the shallow, you know, uh, tide pool, that, that bacteria is just going to die. It won't even survive. Or if you take a cat, which is naturally a carnivore in nature, and you feed them, you know, kibble, which has grain and a bunch of other stuff that the cat's digestive tract is not designed for, then they're not going to thrive. They'll survive, but they're not going to thrive. If you take a human being that, that evolved in an environment where, where they, they ate, uh, you know, primarily meat and fish, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, and some starchy plants, no processed and refined food, they didn't sit for long periods, they were physically active throughout the day, mm -hmm. uh, they lived in, the, in, in, you know, sync with the natural rhythms of light and, and dark and in close-knit tribal social groups, and then you airdrop them into New York City <laughs> where, right. you know, they're, they're eating pizza and, and drinking beer, uh, you know, and sitting, um, in an office. sitting in an office for eight hours and then, you know, riding the subway home and sitting on the couch and, and um, you know, binging on Netflix at night and, uh, you know, uh, have the phone next to their bed and it's beeping and flashing all night and, you know, emitting light that, interferes with our circadian rhythms and you know we live in isolated alienated social arrangements i mean that's that's 180 degree difference from the environment that we evolved in and so the, it shouldn't be surprising to us that that's that we're suffering from this epidemic of chronic disease because we are totally mismatched our genes and our biology are totally mismatched with our modern environment that's a really that's actually a really nice analogy that hits it home really clearly. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two um, is that our medical paradigm is not 
well suited to tackle chronic disease. And this, this is one that I think when most people hear, they're like, oh yeah, that makes perfect sense. But for some, we don't think about it. Um, you know, our, our medical paradigm, conventional medicine really evolved in the you know, 1800s and early 1900s. And at that time, the primary challenge that we were facing was it were acute problems like acute infectious disease, you know, typhoid, tuberculosis, and pneumonia were the top three causes of death in 1900. Mm-hmm. People would also go to the doctor for, you know, gallbladder attack or an appendicitis or a broken arm or an injury they had at work. Um, and the treatment was pretty simple. It, was not, it didn't always work, but it was, you know, straightforward. One problem, one doctor, one treatment, that was it. Uh, but when you fast forward to today, seven out of the 10 top causes of death are chronic conditions yes. rather than acute problems. And unlike acute problems, chronic conditions are complex, they're difficult to manage, they often last for a lifetime, and they require a totally different approach. So that one doctor, one treatment, uh, one problem uh, paradigm that conventional medicine um, you know, came out of is, is really great if you get hit by a bus or you know, my wife cut her uh, finger yes, uh, yesterday and, and I was very happy. We were happy to be able to take her to the urgent care and get stitches, you know. Like, yeah. That's an approach. After she finished, I was like, this is an appropriate use of conventional medicine. You know, like this, this is what it's awesome. It's great. You know, I'm super happy for that. I don't want to take her to acupuncture at that point or, or to a functional medicine office. Um, but it's really not actually the the best paradigm when someone has, you know, gas and bloating and, uh, you know, diarrhea or constipation and a skin, skin breakouts and uh, they, they have difficulty sleeping or maybe they're, um, they're having trouble conceiving or any number of other chronic problems that are what the vast majority of people are dealing with today. And, and that, that, that uh, medical paradigm that we ended up with is just not the right one. It's the wrong tool for the job. Right. And then I think the third reason is that the way that we deliver care is not uh, is is totally mismatched from what we need. And and so you know that the average time that a primary care doctor spends with a patient is now eight to ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, if you imagine someone who comes into the doctor and they've got all of those things that I just mentioned going on, and then they've also started to have some new symptoms of brain fog and difficulty concentrating, there's barely enough time in that visit for the patient to communicate what the symptoms are, much less for the doctor to ask them any meaningful questions about them, uh, to talk about their diet, behavior, lifestyle, and other changes that could be made that might address those problems. There's just enough time maybe to figure out what drug uh, medication could be used to address those symptoms and write that prescription and then hurry the patient out the door before the next one comes in. And so that model, which, uh, um, uh, you know, that's the model of care that's sort of based on the paradigm Mm -hmm. of conventional medicine. So we not only need to shift the paradigm, we also need to shift how care is delivered um, because those eight to 10 minute visits are not going to be enough when we're talking to patients about their diet, lifestyle, behavior, when we're, we're running, using functional medicine testing to try to get at the root of their problem and then, you know, prescribing treatment protocols based on those results. So that's, that's kind of how I see the, how we got here and, and what needs to change. Yeah, right. And then, well, and layer into that eight-minute visit, often I think there are really pricey referrals, you know, to mm-hmm. specialists. Yeah. And, 
and, and extremely expensive workups that still don't yield the solution because ultimately in the conventional model, they're dealing from they're dealing with a toolkit that's inadequate, even with the level of sophisticated workups that people can receive. Yeah. Um, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say the other part, problem with that is, you know, we have special specialists and there's definitely a role for specialists uh, in certain situations, but the downside of having a doctor for every different part of your body yes. and no network for those people to c collaborate and yes. communicate in a meaningful way is that it it's really uh, ends up reinforcing this this um, uh, kind of uh, reductionist view of the body as just a collection of separate parts that are not connected in any way. And you know the the example I've often used uh, is like you you take a patient who's got brain fog, they've got skin breakouts, they've got GI symptoms, um, they've uh, you know, they've got difficulty sleeping um, and they've got muscle aches and fatigue, that person could go to a primary care doctor, they get referred to a gastroenterologist, they get referred to a dermatologist, they might get referred to a psychiatrist mm -hmm. and, all, and they'll get treatment from all those different people. But what if that person is just gluten intolerant? Right. <laughs> and that single food intolerance is causing all of those other symptoms nobody's looking for that and those all those different people will have different cream you know the dermatologist will, will give some cream the gastroenterologist will give some medication the psychiatrist will give an antidepressant you know or the primary care provider might give something but nobody's actually tying all those things together and that's yes. that's where of course functional medicine can can play such a game-changing role Yes, it's really, it's very heartbreaking, you know, when patients end up, you know, finally finding us, thank God they do, but to hear their journey, do we, yeah. you know, often it's like a PTSD, it can be like a PTSD to just listen, witness that totally. journey. Oh, I, I mean, I, I got a story for you that you'll, yeah. you'll appreciate. I'm sure you have plenty of others just like it. So uh, my nurse practitioner and I were we, uh, seeing a patient this week and she came in and she, we hadn't seen her in a while and she kind of had fallen off the map, which, which sometimes happens. Um, and she came back and was like, yeah, I was having some GI problems and I just decided to, to go to my, you know, got to go to my gastroenterologist and see what they, they said. And you know, they did some testing and they found that, that my gallbladder was not functioning, you know, optimally. And, and then they gave, you know, the, she, she gave me a referral and said, I want you to go see this person. And so I went home and I called up the, the number. And uh, when they answered the phone, you know, they said, okay, when would you like to come in and have the surgery? And she said, surgery, what do you mean? And they're like, uh, we're, we're taking out your gallbladder. This is, you know, this is the doctor that takes out your gallbladder. <laughs> and she, yeah. And, and she was kind of shocked that there was like no conversation about it. It was just, here's the referral to the surgeon. Your gallbladder is not working quite right. It's inflamed. And so the treatment for that is to remove it. And, right. you know, I mean, I'll give it to them. That's, that's efficient, right? It's like, <laughs> that is definitely an efficient way of dealing with gallbladder inflammation. You won't, you, your gallbladder will no longer be inflamed if you don't have one anymore. Right. Um, but, but wow, you know, that, that was kind of like, um, sometimes I feel like, um, like, is it really, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's changing. I see a lot of positive signs of change, but then every, every now and then something like that happens and I'm like, okay, we still, 
we still need to be talking about this. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's move over. There are, there's plenty of really heartbreaking stories around and you do, we absolutely do. I know we can swim in our pond and it's very amazing. The water is quite warm here and it's very satisfying and exciting, but there's much to do in the greater paradigm. And um, you talk about that in your book. You talk about, you give three reasons around reinventing healthcare and how we can actually you know, prevent and, and reverse chronic disease. So talk about the solution. So the solution flows from the problem. So I, I gave three reasons that, that, that uh, conventional medicine has failed to address chronic disease. So not surprising, you'll recognize the, the three solutions. So the first one is to bring our diet, lifestyle, lifestyle and behavior more in alignment with what our genes and our biology are, uh, have adapted to. And so that means, you know, nutrient-dense, whole foods, anti-inflammatory diet instead of uh, the highly processed and refined foods. I mean, the, the top six foods in the American diet today by, by calories are uh, grain-based desserts, bread, sugar-sweetened beverages, alcohol, pizza, and Jeez. fried and fried chicken dishes like chicken really? nuggets. Yeah. Those are the top if – you, if you base it by – uh, calories consumed, those are the top six foods in the American diet. And if you contrast that with, you know, the foods that we've historically eaten, again, some combination of meat and fish, uh, uh, fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, and some starchy plants, you can see the, the dramatic difference. So just realigning our diet, but not just our diet, how we, how we exercise, how we sleep, how we manage our stress, social support, uh, pleasure, play, all of these things that make us human um, and it doesn't mean that we're, we need to like go back to living in a cave and wearing a loincloth. It, it just means there are some simple steps we can take in all of these areas to, to bring our, our diet and behavior and lifestyle back into alignment. So that's, that's number one. And that's really what my first book was about. Uh, number two is, is to shift to a new medical paradigm. Uh, functional medicine is what we call it now. As I said, I think it will just be called medicine in the future. And the primary difference there, of course, is that instead of just putting Band-Aids on symptoms by using drugs or surgery, in the case of removing the gallbladder, we actually orient towards identifying and addressing the underlying cause of a problem. So if a patient comes in and they've got so-called IBS, I'm doing air quotes because I don't think that's a really useful <laughs> diagnosis, right. instead of just saying, okay, we're going to give you a modium. If you have diarrhea, we'll give you a laxative. If you have constipation, we'll give you an antispasmodic for the pain and maybe an antidepressant. Um, we say, huh, okay, so your gut, your bowel is irritable. Why, why is it irritable? So maybe we'll do some stool testing to look for hidden infections or dysbiosis. Maybe we'll do SIBO breath tests to look for bacterial overgrowth in the small intestine or organic acids, urine tests. Uh, to, to also look for signs of dysbiosis or fungal overgrowth. Maybe we'll also do some uh, blood testing to look for deficiencies or excesses of nutrients. Maybe we'll do heavy metal testing because we know that heavy metals can interfere with gut health. And maybe we'll evaluate your, your nervous system, your HPA axis, because we know that the gut is a big bundle of nerves, basically, and chronic stress and cortisol issues, too much, too little, um, to, you know, not the right timing of production can also um, really impact gut health. And so, that, as you can see, that's a fundamentally different approach, and it's one that leads to much longer lasting and better results. Mm -hmm. And then the third uh, step 
is how we deliver care because that was his third problem. So um, it's not enough. I, we, I think we all know to just have an eight to 10 minute visit with a patient. There's very little that can happen uh, there. We need longer appointment times, which are typical in functional medicine, but not just that. We also need um, to, to utilize uh, providers like nurse practitioners and physician assistants and nurses and registered dietitians and nutritionists and health coaches to provide a whole nother layer of support that currently is, is not offered. Uh, where, you know, imagine, uh, this is uh, an example I gave in my book, but imagine if someone who had prediabetes uh, went into the doctor and they said, you know, right now what would happen is generally not, nothing usually, you know, because right. they, they don't typically prescribe drugs to, to prediabetics. So they might give them some vague advice about eating healthier and exercising more and, you know, and, and before they're shuffled out the door. Um, but imagine if they came in and the doctor said, good news, we, you know, we caught this early and um, there's, you know, excellent prognosis when we catch it early like this and chance of reversing it. So you not, uh, not only don't have prediabetes anymore, but you never develop it or, or, or full-fledged type 2 diabetes. And here's how we're going to do that. We're going to set you up with a health coach and they're going to, um, you know, really work with you intensively on changing your diet. They're going to come to your house and do a pantry clean out. They're going to go shopping with you. They're going to give you recipes and meal plans, and you're going to check in with them on a weekly basis until you really feel like you've got this down and you're able to implement these changes because we know that just telling you to do it <laughs> in a vague way is not going to work um, for 99.9% .9 of people. Yes. Um, and here's the good news. Your, your insurance program, your insurance covers this health coach visit because they recognize that, uh, you know, even though they have to spend a little bit of money up front on the health coaching at the cost of $14,000 a year of treating type 2 diabetic patient, they're going to potentially save hundreds of thousands of dollars over the lifetime of, of, you know, over your lifetime if they prevent you from having diabetes in the first place. And then we're going to set you up with a physical trainer at a gym. And we have a partnership with them. So your insurance company is going to cover that as well. And they're going to get you on an exercise routine and make sure you're doing it safely and effectively. And, and you're going to, you know, you'll stick with that for, eight, you know, that's what it could look like. And that's what it will look like because it has to. There's no other way to uh, reverse chronic disease. Um, and there's no reason that it can't look like that. Everything that I just, that I just mentioned is completely feasible financially and logistically there's there's the only thing that's stopping it from happening is 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 our is us you know our will to make well, that, it happen so that's the next obvious question what do we do to transform or how do we get from you know the why we've failed and how we can succeed where's what's the bridge well um that's a really good question and of course you know uh there are different ways of looking at it that can give you the glass half full way and the glass half empty way. Um, I think the, the glass half full way is that um, we continue to spread the word, you know, books yes. like mine, um, clinics like yours, teaching programs like yours, um, you know, uh, Institute for Functional Medicine, my training organization, uh, you know, more, Every day I hear from doctors who are, they, they know that the conventional model is not right, you know, for, for chronic disease. And they, 
they want to do something different, but they're not sure how to make the transition. And so, you know, we need more training programs for doctors and other healthcare practitioners who want to take this uh, leap. We need, uh, you know, more blogs, more podcasts, more books to get this word out. And it's already changing. I mean, it's changed dramatically in the last few years. And we also need to, to re-educate patients because I think patients have been trained over many decades to become passive recipients of medication. That's kind of the idea in many people's minds of what medicine is. Medicine equals medication. That, that really has become the, the default belief system. And that's obviously um, not that's not going to work. And so patients, it's not just practitioners that need to be re-educated, it's patients that need to be re-educated. And then you start to look at, um, at pockets of success, like Mark Hyman's uh, Center for Functional Medicine at Cleveland Clinic, um, Iora Health, which is a, a primary care organization that is reversing type 2 diabetes with health coaching, um, you know, on a smaller scale, clinics like ours, which are uh, you know implementing this new model of functional medicine and collaborative care, um, and and it just takes more of these small pockets of success becoming bigger pockets, starting to touch each other. Um, you know, we're doing a pilot program with the Berkeley Fire Department right now, oh, um, which has been amazing. And you know, more more and more of these things happen, more proofs of concept, more and more people start to pay attention, and that's how the change occurs. So that's the the glass half full, and the one that I'm still rooting for. <laughs> I wouldn't have written my book if I didn't believe it was possible. Yes. Um, the glass half empty is our current healthcare system basically implodes, which I think by all accounts is not far off. Um, it, it, it becomes increasingly apparent that it's unsustainable, that there is no way of paying. You know, a lot of the debate around healthcare recently is centered around insurance, um, but we have to remember that insurance, health insurance is not healthcare and that there is no way I don't care if, okay. if government is paying, corporations or individuals, there's no way of financing the care of chronic disease at the current, you know, at the current, uh, even at the current prevalence of chronic disease. But if it continues to increase at, its, at the rate that it's been going, it's, it's hopeless. There's no possibility of paying for that. It will bankrupt any system that we create. So it's, I think the message of I tried to get across in my book is the only way that we can, you know, right the ship is to prevent and reverse chronic disease. It's not more insurance. It's not, that's not going to work. Um, we have to actually prevent and reverse chronic disease. So the, the glass half empty is we don't get that message across soon enough and the healthcare system implodes and we have to start from scratch. Um, the good news is I think we'll get, to this new system that I'm talking about one way or the other, mm -hmm. but the implosion way is going to be a lot more painful and, and lead to a lot more suffering. So I'm really hoping that, that we can be more proactive uh, in, you know, taking those steps. You know, I wanted to, I want to just mention a point that you reiterate in your book over and over again. And I think it's incredibly important that, um, you know, individuals listening to this podcast and um, clinicians uh, really hit, hear this. And, you know, I'm just, you say, if not now, when, if not you, 
who. So me today, what am I doing? You know, mm -hmm. you today, um, the people that come and see us. And then I'm just, you know, I'm thinking about your commitment years ago to continuing to get your blog out, like all, you know, and just doing it and doing it. And you, I, I sometimes, sometimes we don't think that it's possible, but if yeah. not, if not us, who? Exactly. Yeah. So um, that, that, that saying, that story, is, that's yeah. actually comes from an old Zen Buddhist story. It just really touches me and moves me. And, and it's why I get up in the morning, jump yeah. out of bed every day. Uh, you know, there are, are there times where uh, I, I would just like to go be a coconut farmer in Nicaragua and, and surf all day <laughs> every day? Absolutely. No, there's no question about that. But, um, you know, it's, it's so clear to me that that like this is what i'm here for and this is the impact that that i can make it's also clear to me that none of us can do it alone and the yes. more people join this revolution to reinvent healthcare, uh the more successful we're going to be and it could be it, it's not you know we, we we need everybody not just yes. practitioners not just patients yes. uh, i had a patient who came uh last week and he he's so he's he works in finance and he's so excited about this that he is actually creating a fund to launch new functional medicine clinics like mm -hmm. that's his contribution he, he doesn't want to become a doctor he doesn't want to go back to school he wants to use his expertise and background to support this movement and that's exactly the kind of participation that we need from all different people all different walks of life and you know it doesn't necessarily have to be that massive no. You know, he's in finance. It's, you know, it's the, it's the, the micro movements, uh, you know, posting on Twitter or, you know, getting your word out as a clinician or as a patient, you know, participating in being the stone, the pebble in the, in the water that causes the ripple. I had a patient really early on, you know, back when being gluten-free was, you know, oh my gosh. Revolutionary. Yeah, exactly. And he was the best. He actually, I'm, I still work with him. He's the, I've been working with him longer than anyone. And I love it. I love it. He, I was in a tertiary care pain center in uh, New Haven, Connecticut, and he was on literally 19 medications, including oxycodone, fentanyl, just like it was an incredible cocktail of toxic medications. And now he's not on anything and he's just such a awesome individual. So inspiring, but he would hang out in the grocery store. <laughs> and educate anybody who came into his who would listen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I yeah. just love it. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's as simple. I've had um, uh, people come into my training pro practitioner training program. We always ask, you know, where did they learn about uh, Cresser Institute training? Uh, a, for me, at least a surprising number of doctors heard about me from their patients mm. and, you know, their patient you know, brought them a book or, yes printed out a blog post or something like that. So yeah, to your point, don't be, uh, don't underestimate the impact you can have by, you know, just a very, uh, what's what might seem like a small step. It can have big rep repercussions because like in that situation, a patient, you know, gives a blog post or a book to the doctor, the doctor goes and gets trained in functional medicine and then goes on to treat, you know, 5,000 patients yes. in, in, in her lifetime. I mean, that's just an unbelievable impact from yes. some uh, seemingly small action. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. One individual's restoration of health in this paradigm is, it, it does not stop with that individual. I don't care how shy or, you know, 
quiet you might be, that transformation, just the physical change, it has an impact on, on people around us. So um, it's an amazing thing. I just wanted to comment too, again, knowing that this is direct, a lot of clinicians listen to this podcast. You know, I created, I, I spent some time actually my whole, my entire team and I worked really closely to design our, our vision and our mission and our guiding principles. And that creates that created our direction, or it, it's it solidified. It, it actually a let us see what we were doing, which was amazing and very empowering. But you know, really create who and what we are. And and once that was done, once that was it was a good exercise for us. And once that was written down, um, we see it manifesting like it, it it has taken on a life and movement of its own. So that piece for clinicians moving into um, this paradigm, I, I would just encourage you to do. It's a powerful, it's powerful work. Absolutely. And it's never too late to start. I mean, we have um, practitioners that are in their 60s in, yes. in the ADAPT training program. And this one woman who's just, her enthusiasm is so infectious. You know, she was <laughs> totally, totally burned out and just ready to quit and thinking about retirement. And she, I got an email from her a few months ago. She's like, I'm, I'm a, I can't ever imagine retiring. I'm so excited about my work in a way that I've never been. And I, you know, I can't ever, why would I ever stop doing this? And I was like, I mean, that just brought tears to my eyes because it was, it's just so, such an incredible gift um, to give to yourself. And then, to, of course, to give to your patients as a practitioner to, to, to believe and be that passionate you know, yes. about, uh, uh, you know, about your work. Absolutely. I, folks, I will have the links to everything that Chris has mentioned, and I'll make sure we um, get the, the name of his, his new book, Unconventional Medicine, up there and cite in a link over to his ADAPT program. You know, your next steps, should you be inspired to go there, the links will be on the show notes. Uh, so Chris, just in our final minute, I wanted to just ping you on anything new in your space any any are there you know this is kind of a little bit off topic but mm -hmm. you know is there any new research that's standing out for you any new um any yeah new i mean i uh i think um we've touched on this a little bit a couple times throughout the interview but i'm i'm really focused right now on health coaching um i i think that's been a big missing piece in the delivery of care for all the reasons that i said before and most of my time right now is going to um, launching our health coach training program uh, through. Ah. So for the first, you know, two and a half years, we've been training mostly licensed clinicians like M MD, DO, um, uh, ND, uh, you know, chiropractor, acupuncturist, nurse practitioner, physician assistant, etc. Um, but and that's awesome, and we're continuing to do that, and that's still you know a major focus of Crescent Institute, but. Um, in June of this year, we're, we're actually launching the Adapt Health Coach Training Program. And I'm super excited about that because we're trying to create an ecosystem now where we have licensed clinicians that are working side by side with health coaches um, that share the same framework and foundational approach. And I think there's just an incredibly incredible power that can come from that kind of synergy. And so I'm, I'm really jazzed about that. Wow, that's that is really cool. Very, it's needed, and I'm sure that you'll, you know, do a fabulous training for the, the folks going into your program. 
it was Thank just you. I'm looking yeah. forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Chris, it was really great to get to chat with you today on New Frontiers. Thank you so much for joining me. And Likewise. Yeah, yeah, I'm so it was such a pleasure to be with you again. And thank you so much for all the fantastic work that you continue to do. And you know, it's it's great just to know that um we're all out there supporting each other and yes. making this happen. It's yes. a, it's an exciting time to be in this field and I've really enjoyed getting to know you and, and um, continuing to collaborate with you. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thanks. Take care.